This is the Influencer Girl Lifestyle Podcast, Episode 4. Hi, I'm Monica Woodhams, and this is the Influencer Girl Lifestyle Podcast. I'm an influencer consultant and success coach, and I'm interviewing entrepreneurs, influencers, and industry experts who are making an impact and influencing the world so that we can start to live a life that we are so totally obsessed with. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Influencer Girl Lifestyle Podcast. I am super excited about this episode because it is with a dear friend slash favorite relative, my cousin Regina Bentz. So Regina Bentz isn't an entrepreneur, so we're kind of changing things up here, but she is actually in the corporate world and she is killing it in the corporate world in an industry where, you know, you would think that it would be really male dominant and she is making a name for herself even as a woman and she really talks about what she's overcome in order to get there and also something that's really important to talk about that we talk about during the episode is how sometimes your dream job doesn't end up being your dream job and I think that's really important because I experienced this with my job in fashion where I thought it was my dream job it wasn't, and I felt guilt around it, and I felt scared to try something else because I felt some sort of responsibility for seeing it through because I had spent so much time thinking it was my dream job. And Regina also touches on her experience with this as well. So let's go ahead and dive in. All right, I'm here today with one of my favorite family members, my favorite cousin, and one of my best friends, Regina. Bence, almost said Regina Basconi, but she recently got married and I still get confused when I see her email pops up and I'm like, I have no idea who this person is. How do they find my email? But <laughs> Gina, thank you for coming on today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Monica. I'm so excited. Yes, me too. So Gina is a automation sales manager. She works in the manufacturing industry to provide automated solutions to improve operations, specifically in the pharmaceutical industry and corrugated boxes. And so the whole premise of this podcast is really to talk about the influencer and the influencer, you know, beyond the blogging space and just the woman who makes an influence on the world for the better. And I think it was really important to have Gina on today because she, she is in an industry, you know, that not a lot of people just like maybe gravitates towards because it doesn't sound glamorous, but at the same time, like she is a woman who is moving up the corporate ladder in a male-dominated industry. So again, Gina, thank you so much for joining. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Can't yes. Wait. So tell me a little bit before we get too far deep into here, can you kind of explain to us what exactly it is that you do? Absolutely. And really valid question. <laughs> um, people, you know, when you're socializing at a cocktail party or whatnot, and people say, oh, what do you do? It takes about two sentences for everyone's eyes to glaze over and regret having asked me, so I'll try to keep this short and sweet. So as you said, I do work in the manufacturing industry. In particular, I focus in the 
pharmaceutical and corrugated box, which is just a fancy term for cardboard, um, those <laughs> industries. So really going into the manufacturing part of how do you make a box? And then my company offers uh, machines that automate some of the processes in that manufacturing of a box to make it as efficient as possible, um, to get quality, perfect product. Um, and of course, take into consideration, you know, labor and any inefficiencies that might be had. And then once that box is made, it is palletized and then passed on to, let's say, um, Lay's potato chips. And then they would construct the box and fill it with their potato chips and then ship it to, let's say, Walmart. Okay. So I really play in the, we say B2B industry, helping with that initial production. So I cover a 30 state region. Um, we call it the Western states. And I um, am selling these machines. So it's a lot of cold calling. It's a lot of researching box makers mm -hmm. um, and then also pharmaceutical makers. And then trying to introduce myself and see and evaluate their operations to see how our machines and automation can be customized to make them as efficient and profitable as possible. Wow. It's, there's a lot there. <laughs> that was the short synopsis. So, again, eyes glaze over. Um, I try to stick to, I sell machines into like the box and pharmaceutical industry. That's yeah. my one sentence elevator line. Someone's got to be the person who's doing this. It's so funny how many things we just take for granted just showing up on our doorstep. And, Agreed. you know, there's just Agreed. so, and there's probably so much before you even, even were in this job that you like took for granted and didn't even realize there was so much that went into it. Oh, 100%. They joke at work that I'm the box lady, but it's true. I, I'm ruined for shopping every time I'm in <laughs> any store. I'm like touching the boxes, peeling them apart to look. I mean, I wait to peel them apart once I take them home, but uh, <laughs> definitely try to figure out the construction or be like, oh, wow, this is this type of box or that. Um, and then also see who made it. it it's really right. interesting. You're right. Like you take it for granted, but it's cool just to think more about processes and how things are made and how they get to all of us on a daily basis. Yeah. And what you said about it kind of ruined uh, shopping for you when you're just always looking at the packaging. But I can totally relate to that when I was in the fashion industry. Kind of ruined shopping for me too because all of a sudden, like, I couldn't just go to H and M anymore because I would touch the fabric and be like, "What?" Right? <laughs> you know, and which before I would like, oh, "That's cute. That'll work." So yeah, once once you know standards and quality, it, it definitely shifts your perception and and then your decision making. Totally. So, how did you even get here? Let's let's talk about that because yeah. your journey is really interesting because. I mean, obviously, I've, you've known me longer than I've known you, I guess, because you're older. But <laughs> uh, I mean, I really have seen, even from like high school, when I was convinced that you were going to open a cupcake shop. Right. Yep. So why don't you kind of talk about that and just how like your path has really shaped who you are as a manager today? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll try to keep this brief as well, but you know, I think my business uh, dreams and savviness, if you will, began honestly when I was like four years old. I was selling and coloring 
Lisa Frank stickers. Is like <laughs> you can buy the white and black ones and then color them in yourselves at the end of my driveway with friends. And then that morphed into selling snow cones. And like we went from a crank snow cone maker where you actually had to grind the ice with muscle power. And I'll never forget for one of my like eighth or ninth birthdays, I got this electric one from Walmart that you pushed a button and voila, the ice was grinded. And let's talk about like technology. That wasn't the Snoopy one, was it? The Snoopy one, yes. You were there for my birthday. <laughs> that was the grinder. And it oh my gosh, bruised knuckles, man. It was horrible. So imagine five years later when I get this little one that you push a button and boom, shaved ice. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of efficiencies to be had. But, you know, I joke, but I'm really serious. I mean, growing up, I would ask for like professional cash registers for Christmas and barcodes because I just always loved business and like shopkeeping and just trying to sell stuff to people because I've, I've always had this in me. So let's fast forward. I studied economics and Spanish in college. I've always loved, and I thought I was pursuing something in the international business realm, which took me to Spain for a year to work with the Spanish government as kind of, um, kind of like an English auxiliary. So I served really as like the resident American. I taught English classes and, and just, shared a lot about our culture, which was, which was really interesting and an awesome year that definitely shaped who I am today. So I came back and having lived in Spain for a year, I was like, I am going to help people. I'm going to use my Spanish. So naturally I wound up in Kentucky <laughs> as a medical interpreter in Spanish, which meant unknowingly being on call essentially 24 seven and interpreting anything from ankle surgery to, um, you know, family counseling sessions to labor and delivery to, you know, you name it, I had to hop in and interpret. And that was <laughs> quite the wake up call in life, especially so young, you know, I was 23 years old and out there to save the world and help everyone. And this was the first time I had what I thought was like a dream job and it did not feel awesome um, at all. And after about eight months of waking up in the middle of the night to rush to the hospital to try to deliver babies in Spanish, I realized that was not for me. And I was so desperate and so unhappy when I was at a party one night and saw a friend from college who said he knew of a job opening at an audio company in Kentucky that um, manufactured very high-end speakers. I was so desperate. I was like, uh-huh, absolutely. Sign me up. And the next day after the party, I Facebook messaged him and I was like, hey, I don't know if you were actually being serious last night, but I am serious. So please tell me more. So that was my first gig in manufacturing. And, you know, we joke with all my friends and I know with you, it's just like every time I get a new job or if you look at my resume, it's like, what? Wait, like it's kind of a bizarre, funny winding path, but you know, hindsight certainly is 2020 and everything does seem to connect in some shape or way or form. Um, so anyway, I, and I, I wanted to preface with the interpreting job because that is absolutely how I got into manufacturing, which is where I've been since. Um, completely random and really desperate to get out of a, a painful place and time in my life. 
But it also does make sense because, as you know, my father is an engineer and he's always worked in manufacturing and I used to get to tag along with him to his facility. And I've always loved seeing the nuts and bolts behind any kind of business running. So mm-hmm. it, it really does make sense in some regards. Yeah. So when I was hired there, I did purchasing. Um, they had just done an acquisition. So I really wore a million hats. I was doing purchasing, marketing, um, new product development, trying to work side by side with engineers, which again, I'm like maybe about to be 24 at this point. So I know nothing about a lot of this inventory management, trade show planning, um, and then eventually sales. So that was a really awesome time in my life because I had no experience, but they were so desperate. They gave me any job. And luckily, um, because I love to work so much, I was able to get jobs done that I probably wouldn't have at that early in my career mm-hmm. and also gain a lot of respect of men because let's face it, um, the audio industry surprise is, especially in the high end uh, speaker industry is probably like, I don't know, 96% male. So to have this young 20 something year old girl working some bigger jobs and leading events in hindsight, that was pretty rare. Right. So let's talk about that for a second because I think that that's really huge. So, I mean, you're a confident woman. You've always been confident in, you know, your being able to accomplish something, being able to be equal to men, so to speak. Like that, to me, from my perspective, that's never been something that you've struggled with. So, what surprised you all of a sudden being the woman who was attending the trade shows? Uh, putting together uh, sales material, marketing material, all of that. What surprised you the most from going from like, I got this to maybe any realizations that you actually had about the reality of the industry? Right. Yeah, that's a great question because naturally, uh, I think there are about 15 of us that worked in that office in Kentucky and there was one other woman. Okay, sorry, two One was an accountant finance lady who had been there for, I don't know, 10 years. And then there's one woman in the back of the factory who was doing production. So that was, again, a really eye-opening opportunity for me because, you know, you get out of college, you get out with a double major, you've lived abroad, and you just think like, whoa, I'm going to, like, here I come world. And then you also see the reality of, like, yes, you can have lofty high dreams and certainly achieve them. But then you also got to realize you've got to put your work in and it's not this just like, boom, I'm at the top. You know, you have to, you look around and you see these women who are in their forties and fifties and are still buying their time to, to move along. So that was uh, really good for me to see. And but also I say that because there, you know, the men treated me with respect. They were nice. It was great. But then, yeah, when you travel to these trade shows that are huge industry shows and, you know, uh, one of them's actually getting ready to occur in Vegas. It's the big um, electronic show. Mm-hmm. That's a wake up call. Uh, I will never forget. And, and you know, <laughs> it's just so bizarre because you're treated with respect and you're you know, you're sought to for answers and you get to these trade shows and I'm sure we've all heard of booth babes, but they (laughs) are women who are obviously pretty good looking, who are hired for, you know, any booth, any company, any brand to dress up in whatever uniform need be or costume and then waltz around the trade show or stand in the booth to lure the men in 
to eventually, you know, once they're in, then the actual salesperson, normally a guy, can then snap them and start the sales conversation or they get their badge scanned and then the data, you know, you get your email address or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like, it was just such a wake up call to be like, oh my gosh, why are you walking around in such a scandalous outfit? I mean, yes, we all need to get paid, but it was just like such a rude awakening for me to think, wow, like these women are hired to lure guys into their booths to Mm -hmm. get whatever, you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's not just like, you know, some random sleazy like company or industry. Like this is like electronics. This is one of the leading industries in the world. Exactly. So yeah, exactly right. Yeah. It's not like trying to get you into a nightclub. It's, it's getting you into other speaker companies or, you know, whatever. And I remember I'm standing at the entrance of our booth wearing like my best Banana Republic pencil skirt that goes (laughs) in my knees and some wedges and like this, like, I don't know, like soap top. And, you know, I remember being told by a few people like, oh, are you the booth babe? And I was so taken aback by that. I didn't even know how to respond because I had to say, no, I work here. And people, they stuttered and they say, oh, wait, you, like, you actually work for this company? And so that was kind of, those conversations kind of halt you in your tracks a little. Mm-hmm. But then I also remember a great compliment, um, like a booth across from us gave me, it was two guys and they were also manning their booth all week and they did not have a booth, babe. And <laughs> at the end of the week of the trade show, they came up to me and said, wow, like we really want to compliment you. You really hold your own and you're very um, classy and professional and that's awesome to see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, there's definitely, it was just a good time in my life to learn, you know, the different extremes and then also recognize that, wow, s- there are still people out there that recognize you just being you and, um, and there's some merit in that. Definitely. It's so true. And, you know, you have to be really thankful for those guys who, I mean, I'm sure you even took them some guts to come over and talk to you and tell you that because maybe they're like, I mean, she's doing something that's different from what other people are doing that seems to work. Like, you know, what side of the conversation are we going to end up on if we're like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, what are other people going to say? So that's really cool. And And it just shows that when you stand in your power and yourself, you become a magnet to others who are willing to do the same and step up. And so it's really... It's really a ripple effect that starts to happen just when, and it it really just takes one person just standing in their power and standing in who they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's circle back real quick to when you said you were 23, you were in the job as the interpreter, interpreting Spanish for literally about everything and you were on call. You mentioned that it was a dream job that all of a sudden wasn't a dream job. This is actually a big theme of the podcast is, you know, it could almost have been named like 23 quitting my dream job because it just with um, the different women who I'm interviewing and even myself, like this is something that we've all been able to relate to. And I think it's so important to talk about because, and I can't speak for you, but maybe you can tell me like, for me and for some other women I've talked to, being 23, 24 in this dream job, that no longer a dream job, there's a level of maybe guilt that shows up because 
you don't want to seem ungrateful for what you've accomplished. You don't want to seem like, like all of a sudden maybe you're like lazy, you know, like all these things that are so not true. And it literally is that Mm -hmm. you pursued what you thought you were going to be best at. And that's amazing. And it just shows like how determined and just, you know, like how good you can be at a job. But then all of a sudden, like there's something about that label, that dream job label that you put it's almost like you put so much pressure on yourself for this to be it. And then you're 23, 24 and it's not. And there's no one to tell you really like it's okay to feel this way because my parents at least have been in the same industry their entire lives. Like my dad's been in the same job for 18 years, you know, like they don't, it's very hard for them to think you just worked this hard to get this and you're only 23 and you're ready to like switch totally like do a 180. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, great statement. Great question. And you know, my dad's been essentially in the same role. He's interviewed once in his entire life and that was 41 years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you know, and I think because we are raised with such a work ethic and this desire to do good and do right, if you will, it, it is a perplexing stance because we don't want to feel ungrateful or shifty or have a resume look like we just hop at the, the jump of a, you know, like anything that just causes us to move, we're, we're there. And I think, of, unfortunately, now with this millennial age, getting this horrible stigma of like being flighty and just me, 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 mm-hmm. it, I think we just get caught up in that and like, how is this going to look? Am I going to be classified as this or that? But you actually have really helped me try to stay true to myself because I do think of your previous dream job in the fashion world. And, you know, you were awesome. You, you really recognized that that wasn't for you. This wasn't the quality of life. And you also acknowledged and realized that it's okay to obtain that quote dream mm-hmm. and then realize it's not for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was in that first gig, um, my big dream, right, was to help people and mm-hmm. to use Spanish and to quote, make the world better. And so here I am with like, lower income folks that can't speak a language that normally wouldn't get the services that they really need. So that was, that was my ability to help. But quite frankly, the medical world is not for me, like great props and respect to everyone in it. It's not for me. And, but to your point, like it took being there, kind of going through it, painfully through it, realizing, gosh, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel like a dream if this is a dream. And then finally taking the courage to get out of it. And Mm -hmm you know, I think you, you go through like, you know, it's like the however many levels of grief It's also like the levels of pain, if you will, you know, you kind of like, Hmm, this feels uncomfortable. Hmm. I hate this. Hmm, I want to quit. But let's all be honest. We, we gotta, you know, we want to make sure we're making good next steps and jumps. So you kind of have to suffer through it and do your due diligence, but yeah, going through that really helped me to realize what I did want and what I didn't want in future jobs. So that was that was definitely valuable. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell someone who is 23, she's been out of college for what, two years, um, worked her butt off during college, you know, interning at quote unquote, the best internships, landed the job, and then all of a sudden it's just like hitting a brick wall. 
Yeah, I, I would encourage, highly encourage her or myself even to have the courage to push reset. And that is one regret that I carry with me from some jobs in my career thus far is that I felt so guilty and so, um, so like, I don't know, attached to these jobs. Cause again, I take working so seriously and it's like for a while it was number one, I was really putting it before my personal life. So I was like, this is my identity. This is who I am. This is my be all. And that's not healthy, but that's where I was. And so when it came to these discomfort points, which I've had in several jobs that I've been in since then, you know, it kind of like, you think of it as a reflection of yourself. And so I caught myself thinking, oh my gosh, I'm a failure or I'm going to disappoint my company or I'm going to disappoint, you know, like what, like my Instagram followers who know that I love the audio industry or love interpreting and speaking Spanish. So you do have to have a really, like I come to Jesus with yourself and say, you know what? Yeah. Like maybe I am going to have to do this and maybe my reputation will be quote, like I don't know, tainted, if you will, if you think that highly of yourself, which again, I shouldn't have, but my goodness, like you, this, this career in your twenties are so, they fly by. I'm at the end of my twenties and, <laughs> and they're so valuable to get experience and awesome opportunities. So it's not worth a minute being in a role or a job that you do not enjoy. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So when you said you put your work over your personal life. Was that a conscious decision or is it something that you realize looking back? Right. Uh, I think I, it was both. Um, there's definitely a season in my life or seasons where it just happened. Um, I was just getting really caught up in it. I loved what I was doing. So it just became natural. You know, I'd work all day and then I would take my laptop home at night and work on the couch while I was watching something on the background in the TV on the background. And then there was also a season in my life where I got an awesome opportunity at a company in Tennessee and um, my now husband went back to Wisconsin for a job. And we said, all right, let's give it a year and let's both really run and focus on our jobs right now and see where that gets us in a year because, you know, we did recognize we're in our mid twenties, like this is the time we need to invest in our, in our jobs and see where that gets us. So it was both. Um, I would say it's more, it's occurred more that it happened unconsciously and, and that had a lot of consequences. Um, but, but I think I'm getting better now at recognizing when it's occurring and also creating that personal, you know, work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And what does that work-life balance mean to you? <laughs> Great question. Uh, right. So definitely when, and especially now that I'm in sales, this is crucial to me because I'm on the road so much. And then also, you know, and, and this isn't true just for sales, but especially in sales, when you're home or on the night or the weekend, that doesn't mean your job is over. You know, you better be near your phone or laptop to respond to anything urgent. And so it's, it's really been a conscious effort for me. Again, I'm quite a workaholic to lay some um, boundaries between personal and work life and knowing that when I am home or with my family or friends or relaxing that I really focus on that. But then also when I am working, 
to give it 110% so that I can, you know, take some time off or not check my phone every hour or every five hours on a Saturday and, mm-hmm. and be more present with my relaxation or whatnot. Do you feel like you're still trying to figure that out kind of like? Absolutely. And, and I can say that because in my role, there's several weekends that I've been on the road for work, for trade shows or whatnot. And, and that's just the reality of sales and attending mm-hmm. trade shows. So I, I, I knew that going into this. But, you know, then if I have to take off like two hours early to make an appointment the following week because, you know, I, I can't do it on the weekend while I'm gone. You know, it's crazy and this is just my personality, but I feel guilty about even doing that or being away from my phone for two hours during quote a work hour, you know, if it's like three to five or whatever. So I've really had to work on that the past six months because it, you know, it's just like, who has time for that guilt um, and stress Mm -hmm. in your life when you're already putting in the work hours and the overtime, you know? So that's a goal of mine to approve upon this year. Definitely. I, and I can definitely relate to that guilt of like it being a Tuesday at like 1130 AM and like you have a doctor's appointment. And if the doctor's appointment goes 20 minutes late, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, are people going to think I'm slacking? And it's oh, like, yeah. what? Like, <laughs> I know. no, no one that, cares. <laughs> that has happened to me. I am like some mornings, if God forbid, I like, and of course I'm checking my emails in the morning while I'm eating breakfast before I'm even getting there and I'm on calls. Yeah. But if I show up to work, like quote, two minutes past when I really want to be there or if my lunch break errand running extends 10 extra minutes, I am so self-conscious. I feel like guilty and it's crazy. You know, it's like, I'm also waking up at 4 a.m. to catch flights and I'm working at 9 p.m. in my hotel bedroom. So like, you know, you eventually just got to be like, all right, take a chill pill, man. It's, it's a lot, but it's just, like you said, being aware and just giving yourself some slack. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, one of the ways I had to cut myself some slack was literally by scheduling in time for like me to live my life and Mm -hmm. which when you have kind of our personalities that are like not only do we love to work but like (laughs) I mean there's a lot going on there's a lot we can be doing anyway like the combination of that just means like we could easily be working 24 7 but having gone through burnout I was like I need to schedule in life because if not, there's nothing that's going to inspire me by staring at an Excel spreadsheet all day. Exactly. And, you know, it's kind of that realization when you finally realize, okay, I should turn my phone off for these two hours. And you realize how good those two hours were and just like how much of life there was to experience because maybe it's even like you – were on the couch with your husband, but you laughed the hardest that you've laughed in a really long time. And that itself makes it so worth it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and I'm lucky that he is good at um, reminding me to A, not to be guilty or stressing over that. And then also like, I hope you're not checking your phone right now. You know, we're, we're doing this for that. And mm-hmm. it's just a good, healthy reminder for me to be like, oh yeah, that's not a priority right now. Like enjoying my Saturday is. Exactly. So you travel a lot. Um, It seems like with the holidays, it's been more personal travel. But if you take it back to like this summer, even 
what are the biggest lessons you learned, not just traveling for work, but you were traveling for work internationally for like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you went to Europe and then straight, straight back to Wisconsin and then to Seattle all in one week or something like that. Yeah. All in, um, five days. That was crazy. So, (laughs) you know, it really began last winter, really the new year. So as you know, we got engaged and we're trying to plan a wedding in Nashville from Wisconsin, which meant we had three weekends over the last year before August, where we were flying down on a Friday afternoon, had all days of weddings, um, over the weekend and then flew back. And, then last spring and winter was the craziest I've ever been for work. Um, I literally, like in April of last year, I was in my apartment for four nights. I was on the road and I was all over the place. So as my business is, I set my schedule, which again, see, I'm a workaholic and I am learning family, work, life, personal balance. Mm -hmm. So and again, I, I was launching with this automation um, company. I was launching this new technology in the United States. So I think like, imagine no one knows what the Tesla is. It's really high quality. It's more expensive, but it can save a lot of efficiencies. So I'm going around introducing myself who no one knows, my company who no one knows. And then this brand new technology, which is kind of like sexy and flashy and intriguing, but oh, it's an investment. So (laughs) that being said, it's not like I was just selling Girl Scout cookies and delivering them in the same day. It was a lot of introductions, um, a lot of trying to gain people's trust. And I really had to go all over my 30 states. So You know, some weeks I was like in, um, I remember I flew into New Orleans and then between every meeting I had a two to three hour drive, which was absurd. But I just got to this point in my life where I was traveling so much. I got to the point where two to three hour drive, that was like, I don't know. I thought it was like a 30 minute drive in my head, which is absurd. But I was like in New Orleans for a day and a half or sorry, Louisiana for a day and a half. Then crossed over into Mississippi for a day, then crossed over into, I don't know, like, uh, I think Alabama. <laughs> you don't look at the whole map, but I was trying to knock out like three and four states within a Monday to Friday and then have six to 12 meetings within them. So mm-hmm. between the stress of meetings and then like flying and then driving in these brand new cities and states, it was absolutely crazy. And so I had three months in a row like that And then, yes, to your point, May, the first weekend of May, I flew to Germany for three days of a trade show, which, you know, I literally landed there, had a double shot of espresso, and then was on a trade show floor. And if in case anyone's familiar with the Germans, like, they like to have a good time at night. So that was a really interesting experience for me. Um, And then I flew back through London had like a five-hour layover in Chicago. Thank God for those Delta little (laughs) clubs where you can hang out and hide from the Chicago O'Hare airport world. I know, saving grace. And then, yeah, I hopped on a flight to Seattle and landed there, and I had been traveling for 24 straight hours, and then I had this huge presentation to an entire sales sales team um, and director of operations and head of this and that the next morning and then flew home the next day. So it was so crazy, Monica. And 
you know, it, it was a huge, in hindsight, like I was just yesterday being the first day of 2018, I was reflecting on my last year because mm-hmm. gosh, it was the hardest year of my entire life. Like forget planning mm-hmm. a wedding. That was like easy. It mm-hmm. was, I, I just put so much stress trying to launch this brand new co- like product, travel everywhere. But you know, I can't believe it, but like my body held out because I, I normally would get sick in such a high stress moving here and there environment. But it, it really helped me to, I think, strengthen my endurance and realizing what I'm capable of if need be. Mm-hmm. But then it also kind of made me pause and think, what do I really want out of my job and my life? And, you know, do I want to be on the road this much? And, and what's really important to me? So, yeah, it, it's just been a crazy year traveling so much, um, trade shows, I, you know, like I've never gotten gold so fast in my life with Hilton honors points. <laughs> um, I've, I've spent over three months worth of nights in hotels this past year. It, yeah. That's what this past year has looked like. So how does that bring you into 2018? Yeah. So again, it's definitely made me stop and think. I, I'm really at a point in my life where I want to be living slower and be more present. And so this year going into how that looks like um, for my business and my role, I am going to make more strategic plans when it comes to planning these sales calls. Uh, And, you know, again, last year I was really trying to run, hit the road, meet everyone because in as long of a sales cycle as my product has, you know, you do have to like till the ground, if you will, and then hope that like, and fertilize it and then hope that like a year or two later, it might start bearing fruit. So I I knew that, which is why this past year was so crazy, but Mm -hmm. I'm also realistic in realizing if these, if these plans do come to fruition, then, you know, you have to be on site for install and for customer follow-up and just to maintain that relationship. So there's, the traveling isn't going to go away. Um, Again, I just need to be more strategic about it. Mm -hmm. And, and plan well and realize like going to three or four different states in a week is absolutely crazy. And I, I like, I do not recommend that to anyone, especially if you don't know the cities and states very well. My gosh. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> speaking of not knowing the states very well, you ended up in a cave earlier this year. <laughs> Yeah, in your hometown. Who knew that uh, Kansas City has these awesome caves and there's a ton of different businesses, manufacturing, um, like I think the U.S. government has a building down there. Um, There's a lot, but yeah, it's super dark. There's no cell service. So it was was really interesting. I was like, oh my gosh, here we go. Um, This is so funny. When you told me that story, I was like, I'm sorry, you had a meeting in a cave. (laughs) Yep, truly. I know, my life. So as we kind of wrap this up, I feel like we could talk for the next rest of the afternoon. But um, as we wrap it up, how do you see yourself making an impact on the world? Where do you see your role right now in that? Right. And this is a hard question because, you know, sometimes we're so busy running with our with our, I don't know, nose to the ground that I guess you don't realize the impact you have on people day in and day out. And I'm, I'm really hard on myself. So I, I often think I don't have impact on people or workplaces where I've been until like I leave. And 
and you know you hear people i mean say how they you know what they learned from working with you and you're just like whoa like how did i miss that all along so i'm also trying a little bit to be more aware of my impact um i think my impact right now is twofold one um i hope that again right now still working in a very heavy male dominated industry and I'm hoping that gaining meetings and building these relationships with the men that are in charge and all the decision makers at the company are 99% men. Um, I think, and I'm starting to see and feel they're finally starting to gain trust in me mm-hmm. and realize like, wow, there can be women in these manufacturing industries that are knowledgeable and trustworthy and they are here to help us. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one of my first meetings at one of like the top companies in the United States. I introduced myself to the CFO and his first comment when I said, hi, I'm Regina, nice to meet you. He said, why aren't you working at Macy's? And I was <laughs> so taken aback and obviously crestfallen. And yeah, that just occurred like in 2017 mm-hmm. because, you know, you work so hard to represent yourself. And I really think like women, at least I've had to work double as hard and I've wanted to so that I could immediately gain the trust of these guys and and improve my business and and show that I need to be and I deserve to be at the decision making table and that you know you can trust me to with your your company and and it's best you know I'll take care of you so Mm I, I hope I can have impact that way, just showing um, these big decision makers and, and small ones as well that like, hey, we can have a woman out here running a machine and teaching us how to service it. Or like, you know, last week I was doing a demo on a manufacturing floor and I taught seven people and like the ma- manufacturing maintenance head manager, which of course was a guy. And mm-hmm. I taught him how to run a machine and I was there on their floor doing it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny when you walk in, people are always like... <laughs> wait, you're the, you're the technician today. Okay, great. But then, you know, you can see them start to gain your trust once you start working. But again, that took a lot of hard work on my, um, my end to, to get knowledgeable enough to gain that trust. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, I hope I can impact other women who are, you know, maybe needing a little boost of courage and confidence and thinking, you know, like, oh my gosh, I can never do X, Y, or Z or try to insert myself into a male dominated industry. Um, I was at wine night a few months back with some gal pals and they were actually asking questions about my job and they were so shocked to hear that I plan and coordinate all my trips and it's normally cold calls and meetings. And and one girl goes, Oh my gosh, I can never do that. Like just planning and flights and hotels and rental cars and trying to map out a route. Like that's hard enough. And yeah, it's certainly hard, but it's not impossible. And every time you do it again, it, it gets easier. So hopefully too, just, you know, other females who are out there and really want to take on a probably a less um, normal role, like, mm-hmm. hey, go for it. What are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. I love that. And just like, just rip off the bandaid and go for it. Because like you said, like it takes practice, so to speak. So if the sooner you go for it, the sooner you're going to start excelling at it. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. I love that. So do you have any other last tips, um, advice about staying empowered in your career path, especially when it's, you know, very male dominated, anything like that that you want to share with us? 
Yeah, just two quick things. A, like don't doubt your impact and influence in the industry and and how people are starting to think highly of you. You know, and also acknowledge your successes and little victories along the road. If you think like, oh my gosh, I got to be at this place or this salary or achieve this big project, that can be really lofty. And I made the mistake of setting a really high um, project accomplishment as my goal and measure of success. And here I am a year later, a year and a half later, and haven't accomplished that. And so a lot of times I was catching myself feeling um, like, oh, I haven't accomplished anything. I'm really disappointed with myself. But I had a um, sales coach recently tell me, you need to, and, and what we do at our job is um, we set 90-day goals, which I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. And, and you really break it down and make a smaller bites of your big puzzle feasible and then print that out every 90 days and have it on your bulletin board or wherever you see it every day. And then once you do accomplish any of those items, check it off. Or I, I choose a fun color and I, I write like what exactly I did there. And, and seeing that every day says to myself, oh my gosh, okay, I, I'm making a lot of progress. And just, you know, sometimes again, we just get so caught, on, caught up in that big goal or achievement that we don't see all the little progress that we're making along the way. It's so true. We, we really don't give ourselves enough credit for everything that we do in life. So I love that. And I love that 90-day structure to really, you know, see how things are actually happening instead of creating some lofty goal and not really having the strategy behind it. So that's really cool. I love that. And I'd love to have you back on again so we can talk about that because I think that that's really valuable for everyone. Of course. All right. Well, thank you so much, Gina, for joining me today. I wish we could have done this in person, but yes, uh, maybe. Next we time. Can, yes, exactly. <laughs> so thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Super. Thanks so much, Mon. See ya. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Influencer Girl Lifestyle Podcast. Loved this episode? head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review. For show notes and free tips and trainings, head over to monicawoodhams.com slash podcast. You'll be able to learn more about this week's guest and how to connect with her as well. Talk soon, y'all.